Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today I am pleased to have Michael Zeldin with us. He's a TV analyst for CNN. He covered the O.J. Simpson murder trial and the Whitewater-Lewinsky investigation, the impeachment hearings, right, for Clinton, and the Gore versus Bush court challenges, and of course, he's been with CNN <laughs> since covering the Trump administration. He also served in the U.S. Department of Justice, holding uh, various senior positions there, including deputy chief, and you worked in narcotics, right, and dangerous drugs division. That must have been fun. That was exciting. <laughs> in Miami. In Miami, of all yeah. places. Well, it's not nearly as much fun here. <laughs> but, but Michael's with us today to talk about the latest that's going on in the, uh, well, in the in the Trump White House, and it's all come down in the last few days. When we come back, we're going to get right to it. What it is, in case you didn't know, is, uh, well, we have a, I guess, a whistleblower who has come forward to uh, say a few things about Donald Trump, and it has to do with the um, Trump pressing the Ukrainian president in a call to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden's son, and then, of course, a formal impeachment inquiry that has come down as a result of that. So we'll talk about that and a lot more when we come back. And we're back with Michael. Michael, I guess since the title of the show is Just Ask the Question, I'm going to just ask you the question. <laughs> what do you think of the fact that Nancy Pelosi has finally said, we're going to start formal impeachment hearings against Donald Trump. I think she had no choice at this point. When we were just looking backwards at the Mueller investigation and the 2016 allegations of interference, I think Pelosi could have said, that's history. This could be addressed in the 2020 election. This is not an impeachable offense. But when the conduct is ongoing and even even future looking toward 2020, that is the allegation is that the president tried to get the Ukraine to provide dirt on who could be his political rival for the presidency in 2020. I think that was too much for Pelosi and said that we have to move forward with impeachment. One of the things that you said, in, uh, one of the things you've written down was about the solicitation of a thing of value from a foreign national to aid a domestic U.S. campaign violates campaign finance laws and this could have occurred in the case, and that, you think, is the tipping point? Well, in the Mueller investigation, we had the Trump Tower meeting where Don Jr. invited foreign nationals, Russians, to come and give what he hoped to be dirt on Hillary Clinton. That solicitation of something of value by a foreign national violates campaign finance laws. Foreign nationals cannot donate anything of value to a US campaign. So when you move forward to where we are now, the allegation is that Trump said to the Ukrainians, unless you give me dirt on Biden, opposition research, something of value, I am not gonna release military and other 
national security aid that we want you to have, the Congress wants you to have. And that, again, is a solicitation of a foreign national by the president of a thing of value, and that's a potential violation of campaign finance laws. Do you so, think but, – but the the difference here, I mean, when we're talking – I mean, the Mueller investigation, I read that report three times. There are at least ten instances that, you know, had he been anyone else, he could have been indicted. So And they didn't act on that. So why is this any different? And if it's – and I mean, presidents try to leverage foreign countries all the time. And Trump came out and even admitted – Today that you know, yeah, this 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 happened, but I got no problem with it. I mean, why is this different than what has happened in the past? Is it just because it it's about twenty twenty and the Democrats have their backs up, or is there a material difference in this versus what's gone on in the past? So historically, you're correct that presidents do leverage other foreign national um, foreign leaders to to accomplish the national goals of the United States. If you do this, we will give you foreign aid, all in the interests of U.S. foreign policy objectives. If you stem the tide of communism in your country, we will do this. If you end the corruption in your country, we will do this. What's different in this case is the allegation is that the president asked president of Ukraine to provide him and his private lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, dirt on a political opponent that he could leverage for the 2020 election. So that is not a public foreign policy request or leverage. This is a personal campaign finance, if you will, um, request, and that's what makes it different. But for the average voter, the difference is leveraging a foreign country for the interests of the United States versus leveraging a foreign country for the interests of an individual, in this case, the president. Sure. So uh, to make it very simple, if the president of the United States said to the president of Ukraine, if you give me $50,000 in my Swiss bank account, I will release foreign aid. Everyone understands that is not acceptable. That's a crime. But when the president says... If you give me dirt or give my private lawyer dirt on my political opponent, I will release foreign aid. I think, well, maybe that's not different. But legally speaking, and as an abuse of your office, is identical to asking that money be put in your account. Right. So, yeah, I get that. And so that's the difference between this is the allegation that Trump leveraged a foreign leader for his own personal benefit as opposed to the benefit of the country. And there's a, that's where the difference lies. So do you think that um, as, the, as, as they go forward, what, what, what's the next logical step in the process? Where does the process go now? She's called for a, an investigation, a formal inquiry. What, what happens after that? So different than Nixon, where there was a special committee set up to investigate allegations of Nixon's wrongdoing, there is no special committee that Uh, Pelosi has set up here. What she has said instead is that each of the six oversight committees that are presently looking at various aspects of President Trump's behavior will continue to look at it, but it will be under the imprimatur of the leadership as an impeachment investigation. And so as an impeachment investigation, 
the committees have enhanced powers. For the people who are sitting at home going, well, this just seems like much to do about nothing, right? Because it's, they are, they're already investigating him. So what's the difference? And so by calling it a formal impeachment inquiry, there are other added powers that Congress now takes on? That's right. When the Congress says this is a formal impeachment inquiry, and, and we should put a footnote there, which is we don't know whether these additional powers require a vote of the full House or whether Pelosi can just, by fiat, designate this as an impeachment to get these enhanced powers, and that may be litigated. But assuming she can just by fiat say this is an impeachment and therefore the enhanced powers apply, what it means is that it's in the nature of a judicial proceeding. And when it's a judicial proceeding, then the inquiring body, the House Judiciary Committee or House Intelligence Committee, can get grand jury material that they couldn't otherwise get because it's protected uh, Such as? Secret. Any of the grand jury testimony of any witnesses that testified in the Mueller case or otherwise, it may be relevant to the House's inquiry. They can't get because it's protected by grand jury secrecy rules. But if they are a judicial proceeding as a impeachment hearing is, then there's an exception and they can get that information. Typically when Congress seeks... Can he just go executive privilege again? Well, I can say typically when Congress <clears throat> seeks information... The uh, response from the executive branch is executive privilege or some other privilege. When it's an impeachment hearing, executive privilege styled defenses, immunity, executive privilege tend to fail and the courts tend to give the House broader ability to acquire that evidence. And the courts tend to resolve those matters much more expeditiously. So if the president's strategy in denying access to all of the tax records and other information sought was, we'll just play this out uh, through the election, we'll just delay. If there's an impeachment, the courts tend to move more quickly, as you saw in the Nixon's tape case. Right. That case went up to the Supreme Court and back rather quickly because the court knows that there's an imperative here uh, that has to be resolved. Either the president's good name has to be restored or the scoundrel, if you will, has to be removed from office. Yeah, but he's kind of counting on the Supreme Court, is he not, to have his back? Well, I wouldn't be so confident that the Supreme Court would have his back if the question is, does Congress in an impeachment setting have the right to evidence? The Supreme Court in United States versus Nixon was pretty clear that in the context of a proceeding where uh, it's a judiciary, uh, judicial sort of inquiry that trumps the president's executive privilege and the tapes went over to the committee and they did what they ultimately did, which was to force the president to resign. So I, I think the calling it of an impeachment proceeding is not, you know, sort of merely a, a gimmick or a uh, horse uh, uh, by the same name. Rose by any other name still smells right. as, as awful. Right. I, knew there was a, I knew there was an expression. I knew you were going for it. I get, I get those messed up all the time, but... But it is something that has a sub, potentially has a substantive difference. And that substantive difference, I mean, Donald Trump, it, and if you listen to him tonight, he called it presidential harassment. He says no one has ever been tortured as much as he has, that this is all a witch hunt, that none of it is valid. Now, he claimed the Mueller report wasn't valid. I just claimed that Mueller was a bit of a coward and he didn't really indict him. And I think 
because of that directive. And actually, you know, maybe he could have. But he does point out 10 different areas where that, that would have been a crime had he not been a president of the United States. I mean, right? There are 10 different. So he didn't read the Mueller report. He's calling witch hunt on this one. And none of these have been witch hunts. All of them have been substantive. Do you think he's whistling in the wind or do you think he has a, a legal leg to stand on going forward? If the allegations pan out, that is, that the president of the United States, acting alone or in concert with his private attorney, said to the president of Ukraine, you will not get foreign aid or military assistance unless you give us dirt on our political opponent, I don't see how you recover from that. Good point. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about this and, of course, the other stuff that's been going on in the White House lately. Stay tuned. So we're back with uh, Michael Zeldin and Michael. I, I guess the thing that I that I find fascinating, and you have a much uh, deeper history in covering some of this uh, malfeasance in office than I do, is when you look at the Donald Trump administration, do you see it as an aberration of a norm, or do you see it a continuation of politics as usual? How do you view it? I think that his attack on the press is unparalleled. I mean, Nixon obviously was not a fan of the press, especially when they were after him in the impeachment area, and then Bill Clinton the same. When you're being attacked, you know, the, the attacker is, you know, is attacked back. But this president, I think, his assault on the press and the implications of it for the First Amendment and, and, and general freedom of, of speech and association and, and press are are unparalleled and dangerous to me. I uh, I was talking to, you know, one of the guys, I, one of my mentors was Sam Donaldson, and I had him on this show, and we were talking. I said, you know, what do you think? Do you think it's permanently damaged? And he said, I think it's, it's heavily damaged, but not permanently damaged. So I ask you the same question. Do you think that what Donald Trump has done is permanently damaged either the First Amendment or this republic, or do you think we can recover from the damage that he has inflicted upon us? Oh, I think we can recover. I don't think there's any question, but that we can recover. And from a First Amendment standpoint, um, I think that is recoverable uh, for sure. What I think is going to take a lot longer is, one, international relations, the the attack on our allies, on our NATO allies, and and others and the embrace of, of dictators. I think that's going to take some time for countries to feel comfortable with us again, and that's dangerous. And then I also think that he has exacerbated the divide in, in, in our country. We are so divided. We're so Hatfield and McCoy-like in our uh, approach to all issues. And we'll see that and as a out in 2020. As a Kentucky boy, I can appreciate that analogy. <laughs> yes, there's still, there, there's still, there's, there's still few. There's, um, I think that that divide, the ex exacerbation of that divide is also going to take a long time. How do you cure that? I don't know how you cure that. I mean, you cure that over time. It's, you know, the adage of time uh, cures all 
wounds or whatever the yeah. expression is. Um, <laughs> you were searching I'm, for another I'm expression not there. Expression. <laughs> um, well, I, I get that, but when you look at time, I, mean, I think John Lennon said, "Time wounds, wounds all heals." heals right? <laughs> and you know, he was talking about Nixon. Yeah, he was yeah. talking about because they had tried to kick him out of the country. In fact, John Lennon was one. You know, led to the Dreamers and the DACA and all that kind of stuff. There was no real um, legislation. Before the, you know, Nixon tried to kick him out of the country. Yeah, and so I think that it took us a while to recover from um, Nixon. I think it'll take us a while to recover from Trump, whether it's four or eight years. If it's eight years, it'll take it a longer time. Um, I just hope to, I'm around. Recover, um, but I'm you know confident in the resiliency of the American people. I just think that this has been a particularly troublesome time. Um, Exacerbated by the president. Well, when Lincoln said the good faith of the American people will overcome many. Yeah, the better angels, uh, you know, do always tend to surface. It sometimes just takes them a lot longer to get here. Well, yeah, that and that was Lincoln's other statement. You know, uh, <clears throat> lie will make its way around the world before the truth puts its boots on. Exactly right. And that's how do you deal with? I mean, and that's why I think 2020. To make a small political point, I think that's why 2020 will be so interesting to see whether. Um, the uh, election results in um, the American people saying, you know, we're just tired of this. We just want to return to something that's more normal. Whatever that is. Well, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> at least whatever less volatile. <laughs> that's right. At, le right. at least less chaotic. I can tell you from covering this, and I've covered every president since Reagan, I personally have never seen anything so chaotic. It's just that it's it, there just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to what goes on. It's just flying by the seat of the pants 24-7. In, in, in Yiddish, you'd say Mishigas. <laughs> There's so much Mishigas, <laughs> meaning craziness. Yeah, yeah. Inexplicable so you, craziness. So you know my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's one of our favorite terms. But um, when you look at... Uh, for you, I mean, as one of the last refugees or refuge of 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 truth telling and facts, court of law, and I find that there is at least some, you know, my personal case when we had to sue the president in order for me to get my press pass back. It was nice to be in a court of law where facts actually weighed heavily in in decision making, and it just doesn't seem like that's the case in the court of public opinion or with this president. It seems to be very emotional driven or, like I said, driven by the seat of his pants. You, do you see it? How do you see that? Well, what I look forward to in the, in the coming weeks and months is how the courts resolve the craziness that, that has been placed before them. The request for tax returns and the request for testimony of uh, government employees, the request for testimony of non-government employees. All these things now are pending in the courts, where the president has said, essentially, I'm stonewalling, you're getting nothing, abnormal behavior for almost everybody um, who has held that office, and now it's left to the courts. And it'll be interesting to see whether the courts uphold uh, the rule of law and, and bring us back to the center, or whether they, too, are politicized. And, and uh, What's your feeling there? I'm hopeful that they will follow the rule of law and that these matters where I think the president is wrong about immunity and executive privilege and the denial of the request for the tax returns or the denial of the whistleblowers 
complaint that the courts will say, no, no, Mr. President, we're sorry. You have to turn that stuff over. You have to provide these witnesses. You've got to give the people of the United States the right to see this information that has been requested by Congress in its legitimate oversight responsibilities. So going back now to what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about the um, impeachment proceedings, tell me where this leads. Because for most Americans, we see it. Now, I have seen a bit of a dam break with the Republicans. There was a, uh, a unanimous uh, resolution today in the Senate uh, regarding this issue. But ultimately, the, the feeling is, all right, fine. Democrats can impeach him. The Senate will never convict him. So what's the point? Much like when Clinton was president. So if you can, march us through what happens in an impeachment. Where do we go? So the committees investigate if they believe that there are matters that are worth an article of impeachment that is sent to the House Judiciary Committee and they uh, vote on it. And if there are, you know, articles of impeachment that are voted out of the House Judiciary Committee, which will most likely be along party lines, it'll then go to the full House where it'll be debated. And if it is voted out of the full House, and it's not clear that at the moment, they have the 213, I think is the number, uh, the majority uh, tipping number of, of uh, people that would vote for articles of impeachment. Uh, but if they get a majority of the House to vote articles of impeachment, to analogize it, it's as if the House is the grand jury. They, in returning articles of impeachment, are essentially returning an indictment. Then the indictment or the articles of impeachment go over to the Senate, which then tries the case. And the Senate uh, is presided over by the Chief Justice of the United States, and they have a full-blown trial where evidence and witnesses are presented. And at the end of the presentation of evidence and closing argument, Senate votes. And if two-thirds of the Senate vote uh, to convict you know, to, uh, on the articles of uh, impeachment, then the president is removed from office. If they don't get two-thirds, as was the case in um, Johnson and in um, Clinton, then the president remains in office. How do you see it going down? Well, presently, uh, I don't think there's any likelihood that this Senate would vote to evict this president from, from office. They, they haven't voted... Uh, in any uh, way that would reflect a willingness to do that. But we don't know what the evidence will be. It, you know, Mitt Romney, uh, the senator from, from Utah, said today that, that this was essentially bad behavior. Uh, Marco Rubio said this shouldn't have happened. So you see some people who are beginning to say with sort of uh, anguish in their voice, this is concerning, this behavior, this forward-looking request by the president on the day after Mueller testified to the president of Ukraine to provide information that was damaging to Biden and his son um, in exchange for monies that Congress appropriated for them is troublesome. And remember, the history of U.S and Ukraine here is that the Ukraine agreed to give up its nuclear weapons in exchange for U.S. military support because they were going to now be an ally 
against Russia, even though Russia did end up invading. And, <laughs> and we didn't do and anything about it. And annexing. But, but that was the history of it is we made a deal. We'll give you military aid. You give up uh, your, your nuclear weapons. And, and that was agreed upon. And the money was voted to be given. And now the president is holding up this money, holding up this money. And no one understands why he's holding up this money. And then all of a sudden, it seems that the, at least the allegation is that the money is being held up pending the response of the Ukrainians to his request for dirt on Joe Biden and his son. That's serious stuff, if proven true. And there are administration officials that have come forward and said, yeah, it pretty much is true. And Trump himself has said he did it. Trump has said a lot of things in the last couple of days, <laughs> some of which are inconsistent with... with um, reality? With, well, with each other. Yeah, um, and reality. And, and uh, you know, he has said, yes, I talked about Biden. I'm not sure how that's relevant, but he has said... He's talked about Biden in the context of saying to Ukraine, you need to clean up the corruption in your shop if you want to be a friend of ours. And, you know, you could say that without mentioning and Joe Biden and his son in specific. Right. Because that seems so much to his personal benefit. It's not in the national interests for Ukraine um, to, to do that unless the State Department or the Justice Department are formally asking for an investigation. Remember, this is a couple of years old. That right. doesn't have any real um, bearing on anything now. Biden is private citizen Biden. It's a historic uh, e event. So it's hard to understand why exactly this is so important that military aid uh, will be held up for it. It seems personal. And that's what makes this so troublesome from a law abuse of office analysis. And and it doesn't actually have to be you know, like a felony or illegal for them to proceed with impeachment, correct? That's right. The impeachment, in fact, does not require or even imply criminal behavior. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, who um, was the author of the Federalist Papers that dealt with impeachment, said this derives from the abuse of the powers of the office of the office holder doesn't have to be the president, could be any officeholder, senator, you know, right. um, the, the, the governor of Illinois that's in jail now uh, for trying to sell Obama's seat. That's essentially uh, an abuse of the powers of, of his office. You can't sell a vacant Senate seat. Well, um, apparently you can. You just can't get caught doing it. Right. <laughs> but, but when, you know, when we go back and think, well, what, what's so troublesome about uh, the allegations that relates to Trump. If you look at um, the governor, you can say his name. I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> Goyevich. What he, he what he said is, you pay me money, and uh, the person who pays the highest amount of money will get the seat. People can understand how that's not acceptable. If the allegations with respect to the president are, you give me dirt to help me in my reelection, you'll get the money that Congress appropriated. That's similarly un unacceptable. And so I think that's really the, that's been the tipping point today, um, and uh, we'll see how point, it plays out. The tipping point appears to be that he did this for his own personal gain. That's right. And, so what if he and, comes and out and says, "Hey, I didn't do it for my personal gain. I did it for the United States of America." Then and, and 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 everyone believes that's the case. Then he'll prevail, and we'll see. I mean, he has said we, we the question that you asked that I was trying to remember the. Before I stopped talking, a second ago, <laughs> the question you asked was um, his explanation. And he has said, first, he didn't talk about Biden. They just talked about 
corruption generally. Then he said he did talk about Biden, but only in the context of broader corruption issues and the allegations of meddling by Ukraine in the 2016 election, election with right. the Democratic National um, Committee. Now he's saying, well, he's holding up money, not because of um, corruption, but because he wants the Europeans to pay uh, more of that money. But that money was the money that was appropriated by Congress. Yeah. It's not part of international. It's not like UN right. money or EU money. This was money that So he's Congress changed the story twice. So he keeps changing. The story is evolving. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's evolving in a way that's beneficial to him. to him. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's incoherent. Well, hello, that's I, two and a half years of this has been incoherent to me. But I, I remember talking to Bill Shine when he was still in the administration. I said, "So, what is your strategy here, Bill?" And he said, "You give us far too much credit. There is no strategy. I'm just the guy in the circus who cleans up after the elephant." And I, and I get, I mean. That's the feeling I get on a daily basis with this administration. Well, you would know better than I. I, 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 I I'm, I'm at arm's length from the day to day of it. But you, well, sitting back, you, you, hear that, you hear that refrain a lot, that the words like strategy in this administration are oxymoronic, that there is no coherence, that is each day is a, a, a new day. and um, A fresh what, deviltry. Yeah, it, it, it's not even Groundhog Day. I mean, Groundhog Day, you know, it, it, it started the same way each each day here. This is just from, chaos and bedlam. Well, that's what that's what people say. I, I have no personal knowledge of that. Well, you can I, see it from. I can only watch from from a, a distance, and it does seem different than what I've watched um, <laughs> since I started watching politics at a very young age. At, 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 I don't think at age. You're being kind. Well, I think at age four or five, my 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 father had me in front of the UN marching against um, nuclear testing because the nuclear fallout was getting into strontium 90 was getting into the milk. So oh, yeah. I've been um, marching for, you know, a long time <laughs> and this is a little bit different for me. Yeah. It's a little bit different for all of us. Uh, now <laughs> go on, keep going back to this impeachment stuff. So the house will take a look at this and decide whether or not they're going to bring articles of impeachment. How, how, and if they don't, that's it. Yeah, if they don't, that's it. If How long do you think it'll be before that decision is made to bring them or not bring them forward? It depends on how quickly they get the evidence. If the evidence comes um, quickly, then they can decide quickly. But if you look again at Nixon... Well, he's going to fight it. Well, that's right. And if you look again at Nixon, how long did it take from the time that they started hearings to the resolution of it. It was 18 months. Yeah. Two, you know, it was, it's almost it was, two years. It was all because Nixon fought, fought tooth the, and nail. The, 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 the tapes, because they couldn't, remember, in the Nixon impeachment, John Dean um, says, you know what, I'm no longer going to be part of the conspiracy of silence here. I am going right. to be the whistleblower, if you will. And he testifies before Congress, and he says, this is what happened. Nixon and, and his allies called Dean a liar. And so now it's Dean versus Nixon and, 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 and his uh, circle, Haldeman or Ehrlichman, uh, Mitchell, all of them. And then Alexander Butterfield comes forward mm -hmm. and testifies before the Senate Select Committee. And Everybody says, thought he was deep throat. And yeah, and then he, and he says, there's a taping system. And so now there's a way to corroborate John Dean. Either John Dean's a liar who's made this all up uh, to save himself, or 
he's a whistleblower and he's telling the truth. And the tape is going to resolve that. And Nixon fought those tapes because Nixon knew what was on those tapes. And it took a long time, relatively speaking, from an American public standpoint, but you know, from a judicial standpoint, it was relatively quick. And um, Dean was telling the truth, and the tapes proved it, and um, Nixon was gone. Yeah, so that means that if we follow that, then we'll be into the second administration. Well, I would think, you know, again, it depends on what the evidence that they need is and how long it'll take to get it. But I wouldn't think necessarily that this would be resolved within the year. I don't see anything with this president being resolved quickly or painlessly. I think he will fight tooth and nail. Seems his M.O. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, he likes the fight, and uh, I think he will continue that fight. So we're going to take one more short break. We'll come back with a few closing thoughts and uh, stick around. So we're back, and uh, once again, just a few final thoughts, if you can, Michael. Where do you – we've talked about impeachment for the last, oh, half hour, 45 minutes, and um, I don't see it happening. I just don't see that they will ever be able to convict – that it'll go to a trial in the Senate and the Senate would convict him. Well, two things, just to reiterate um, for those who may have joined late. <laughs> impeachment – is a process. Part one takes place in the House, part two takes place in the Senate. The House part is like the grand jury. They're gathering their evidence, they're listening to their witnesses, and they're deciding whether to vote to indict an article of impeachment. If they decide to indict, then the whole thing goes over to the Senate, and the Senate is the jury and they try the case. Judge, jury, and executioner. Well, um, uh, they, they're, they're, they, it's presided over by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, sits at the um, you know, speaker's uh, lectern, and, and witnesses are called, just like a regular trial. And then when all the evidence is said and done, um, the Senate votes. And if two-thirds vote to convict, the person is, is removed. So and that's you, never happened. No, it's never happened. But so when you say he won't be impeached, impeached is indicted. So right. he he could well be just like Clinton. He could well be impeached because the House is and I mean convicted, and you mean removed. Yeah, convicted right. and removed. That's right. That presently is unlikely. I mean this this Senate in in its two and a half years hasn't shown any resistance <laughs> to virtually anything that the president has done, and the president enjoys 88% uh, approval rating by Republicans. So it will take something spectacular, some spectacular evidence, I think, for the Senate to turn. But remember in... Or in 2020, if the Senate flips. Well, in 2020, yeah, if the Senate it could. flips and the president wins re-election. Right. I mean, because remember, Nixon um, won re-election and was removed in his in, in, in well, he his quit. Term. Well, yeah. yeah. Do you see that? Do you think? 
Do you see that as a scenario? Doesn't seem to be within his nature, but it, in Trump's nature, but it wasn't in Nixon's na- the notion that, the, that Nixon, as he said, uh, quitting is... I'm not a crook. Well, not <laughs> a crook, but, but quitting was an anathema to me. This was, yeah. it was, you know, they called Bill Clinton, you know, sort of the comeback kid sort of Nixon. I mean, he, he, he was down yeah. and out and lost the presidency and, and, and... You won't have Dick Nixon to kick around here anymore. Then, Remember that. And then he wins two terms. Overwhelming, yeah. overwhelmingly. Well, some say that's because Bobby Kennedy, you know, died and there was... Yeah. That, was a, you know, that was a very divisive time in the history of this country. It's not like... And I go back to that a lot when people go, it's never been this divisive. And I, I go, I remember 68. 68 was unbelievable. And in fact, I think CNN um, had an, an, uh, a movie or, or right, a about the 60, on, yeah. on 68. I, I, so, I just, so you have two, two years uh, to me that are, that are, uh, are so worth studying, uh, months and years. April 1865, the end yeah. of the war. And Lincoln's, uh, Lincoln's assassination. assassination, Johnson's rise to to, to the presidency. Whether or not um, Robert E. Lee is going to revert to you know being a, a soldier again and 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 restart the war, all that's going on in April 1865, and then in in 1968, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, yeah. draw, draft riots. I mean, uh, the Tet Offensive, right? I mean, when everyone talks about how divisive. 2018 was, or 2019 is, or how divisive Trump is, I always go back to, we're not bringing home kids in body bags by the thousands. 55,000. Yeah, by the thousands. Right. And so when you asked earlier in the show whether or not we will rebound from the president's attacks on the press, the First Amendment attacks, and I said, I think we're resilient, I always look back to um, World War One. And when uh, Wilson and the uh, the sedition laws were passed, and it oh, became yeah. a crime. Um, I mean, they jailed socialists Eugene Debs and others for publishing um, socialist anti-war, anti-World War One, anti-draft um, periodicals. I mean, that was way worse in many respects. Yeah, you got kicked out of the White House. <laughs> Those guys got jailed for publishing. I've been there. <laughs> and, and, and 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 so you know, if we can re- rebound from that, that we can rebound from uh, this. From from this, it just takes time. Now, one of the things you can't get out of here. No, you know what was the uh, line in Adventures in Babysitting? Nobody gets out of here without singing. Uh, I won't make you sing. But you got to get it. You can't get out of here without just telling me something personal. And the thing I like, we were you talking. You can check in, but you can never leave. Yeah, there you go. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> Who's your favorite? I mean, uh, I'll, I'll start with this: Beatles or Stones? Oh, Beatles is no question. Although I tell you, when when the Rolling Stones were a cover band, yeah, early on, um, Twelve by Five, Out of Our Heads, um, those early albums, I thought they were. A great cover band. They were. Um, and they also covered the Beatles. Their first top 20 hit was a a, a song that Lennon McCartney wrote, I Want to Be Your Man. Yeah. Do, 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 yeah. Do. yeah. But so, but. All right. So John Lennon or Paul McCartney? Lennon. There you go. And so. Uh, I still, I still. Led Zeppelin or The Who? 1980 um, is John oh. Lennon shot dead in. Uh, Where were you when that happened? 
I was at a restaurant in Adams Morgan called Million Al's uh, with my friend Bert Braverman eating pizza. And I came out of the restaurant, I got in the car, and I think it was like Monday Night Football was on. And, and Howard Cosell, somebody says, John Lennon has been shot dead in, in New York. And I thought, this is not right. Yeah, you, you don't kill, kill John Lennon. You can't kill. Yeah. I was uh, working at a pizza place in college, and I had a 10 to 2 shift at the local radio station, KCLU Columbia, Missouri. For all you radio listeners out there. And uh, so we went on that night and played uh, six hours of John Lennon music. And then I ended up in uh, New York. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, I still look back at that with, you know. Siskel and Ebert came to the University of Missouri about a year after that. And they were talking about the Manchurian candidate and how it was eerie that it was, you know, about, they reminded him of the Kennedy assassination. I think it was Gene Siskel, may have been Ebert, uh, who said that for them and their generation, that assassination was when childhood ended and adulthood began. For me, I, I immediately knew what they were talking about, and it was for me, it was the John Lennon assassination. I, when he died, I thought childhood was over and adulthood had begun. Yeah. And that was for our generation, I think, was it. But, you know. What do I know? I'm just a guy who asks questions. <laughs> so, in answer to the question you haven't yet answered, left on a desert island. Yes. Blood on the tracks. American Beauty. Rubber Salt. Those are the three. Al- those are the three albums I'm taking with. Oh, me. that's those are good. All right. So, with three books. Oh God. Um, Blood on the tracks, by the way, is a great album. It's, it's and if you haven't heard it out there, listen to it. It's well worth a listen. The Rubber Soul is probably one of the best albums ever cut. Well, so there's, you know, when you're asking of Lennon, McCartney, Beatles, Stones, you can ask Rubber Soul, Revolver, Working Man's Dead, American Beauty. Oh. There, there are some tough questions. Revolver and Rubber Soul are great. But I do like, I do like Abbey Road, too. That last on, on side Medley. two yeah. at the end, including the guitar solos. Yeah. Yeah. And just and the drum solo, the only recorded Ringo Starr drum solo, and then you've got I think it's you know Paul, George, and John in that order playing you know playing those solos before yeah. it ends. So I don't know what three books I'm taking, but I, I've been rereading. Well, I say rereading because it implies that I read them in high school, which <laughs> I didn't. Um, I read Cliff Notes of them, but I, I read I read recently. Grapes of Wrath and Travels with Charlie Steinbeck's books. Oh, those are. Good. I would take those books anywhere um, if I had to keep rereading the same book over and over. Those two give you a portrait of America that is second to none. There you go. Well, listen, Michael, I appreciate you come back Anytime. sometime. Oh, great! It's great having you. This is great. <laughs> Once again, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.